You know, in, uh, in reality, uh, the scripture in the Old Testament talks about nursing fathers and nursing mothers. And, you know, whether you're a mother, biologically or naturally speaking or not, uh, in Christ, we're called, we're called to be. Jesus said this when they came in, remember when he was teaching, he was in the house, and they said, Jesus, you're... Your mother and your brothers are out there, and they want to talk to you. And he said, he stopped and he looked around. He said, these are my mother, my brother, my sister. And Jesus wasn't disrespecting his family. Jesus was just making a statement of reality. That my family is more than just biology. And in Christ, we are the family of God. In a sense, we're all mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers, and, and it's a wonderful thing. We're going to continue today. We're, we're doing a series uh, on the Holy Spirit, and we're going to continue this. And um, somebody had said that they tried to download the message guide, and it was not there. And um, I, it should be there, and uh, this new one should be there by tomorrow, so... Uh, if, you don't, if you're not able to, to download it for some reason, just send an email to the church and, and we'll, uh, we'll try to make sure that we get that fixed so that you guys uh, can download those. And the reason I do that is because I really want to encourage you to be diligent students of the Word. And so I, I, I want to make the notes and the scriptures available that I'm going to share with you today because we need to be like the Bereans, right? We need to make sure. You don't trust what I say just because I say it and I'm standing behind this pulpit or this podium. The only thing that we can truly trust is this word right here. And if what I say lines up with it, then you run with it. And so uh, I pray, my prayer for you is that you would have a hunger and a thirst for the word of God. That, that, that the truth and the righteousness of God would be something that you would hunger and thirst for. And God has preserved His Word and given us His Word so that we could be partakers of it. This is the bread of life. Amen? So, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this. He said, I send to you the promise of my Father. Luke 24, 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But wait until you are endued with power. And so we see at the end of Luke's gospel that Jesus commanded them to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father to come. Now in Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus makes this statement. He's, he's given his disciples the, what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. And then he begins to talk about, um, uh, he goes from that talking about prayer. And he's talking to these men and he says, If you earthly fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so we're going to talk about, specifically today, two things. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, and we're going to also talk about a term uh, that's, that's very loosely used, the term anointing. And let's begin with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There are seven places, there are seven scriptures that specifically use this phrase, baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you all seven of them, all right? The first is Matthew 3, 11. And John the Baptist is speaking here, and it says, He will baptize you with 
the Holy Spirit and fire. He, John the Baptist was speaking of the one who was to come. Remember, he was the forerunner. He prepared the way for the Lord to come. You can go to Malachi chapter uh, 3 and 4 and, and read about John the Baptist who prepared the way for the coming Messiah. Mark 1.8, again, uh, same, same record here of John the Baptist speaking. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.16, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then John 1.33, John the Baptist said, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water. Who sent John to baptize with water? The Father did. God sent John the Baptist. He said, He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then going out of the Gospels into the book of Acts, Jesus now is speaking and Jesus is telling his disciples, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in Acts eleven sixteen, Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Those are six scriptures that specifically use the phrase, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's one other scripture, and we actually ended our message last week on this scripture. And why don't you turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And this is the only other reference that, that is made in the scripture of being baptized with, or here it's actually translated, perhaps in your Bible, baptized, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Now, if you recorded those scriptures, um, and if you download my message guide, I've got these scriptures on, on the message guide. And, and what I did was, everywhere it says baptized with the Holy Spirit, I underlined the word with. And that word with appears six times in those six scriptures, four in the Gospels and two in Acts. And then the seventh occurrence of this phrase, baptized with, or here it says, baptized by one spirit. We were all baptized into one body. It's translated in the English, by, for by. You might have a translation that says, for in one spirit. We were all baptized into one body. And what I want you to understand, that the word with... The word by and the word in are the exact same word in the Greek. And so here's the thing. If we were reading this as the original hearers of this letter, we would read for I will baptize you or he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It means the exact same thing as for by or in or with one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Now, remember last week, now, May 29th, and I just want to tell you this, May 29th, 
um, we're going to do a water baptism service here. So on Saturday night, in lieu of our normal Saturday night service, it's a fifth Saturday, so we're going to have a fellowship dinner. So we want everybody to come uh, bring a dish with my favorite food in it. And Saturday night, we're going to eat, and we're going to fellowship, and then after our fellowship, we're going to have a baptismal service. So if you have given your life to Christ, and you have not been water baptized, you, you really need to be water baptized. And, and we're going to talk about the importance of baptism, uh, and today we're going to touch on it. It's, it's, it's crucial to what we're talking about here today. But when I, when I stand in that baptismal pool back there, and I'm standing in water about this deep right here, and the, the people that are going to be baptized are going to come down, and, and I'm going to immerse them in the water, we would say they've been baptized with water, right? And they have been. But our understanding of that is that, that we baptize them with water. In other words, water covered them. This word with, baptized with the Holy Spirit, does not mean that. And the reason it doesn't mean that is because, now hold on and listen to me. This is very important, church. We can't think of the Holy Spirit as the same thing as water. We're baptized with water. That is the substance we're baptized in. But the Holy Spirit is not a substance. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is just as much deity as the Son and the Father. The Holy Spirit is not some force that's out there floating around doing God's work. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And so this phrase, when Paul says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, he's not talking about we had some substance called the spirit fall on us and we got baptized with it. He is talking about a person of the Godhead who baptizes us into something. Now, it's interesting, there's very few accounts, but there is an account in John where it talks about Jesus baptizing. And then there's a scripture right after that where it says, yet not Jesus, but his disciples baptized. Yet these scriptures, these first six scriptures that we read that use this phrase, baptized with the Spirit, all speak of Jesus, for one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, if we're not careful and we think of it in our normal way of thinking of this word with, we're thinking, I'm going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit like I'm going to get baptized with water. The Spirit is the substance I'm being baptized with, but that's not it. Because the Spirit's not a substance any more than you're a substance. You're a person. And so the Spirit is not the substance, not the thing we're being baptized with. What this is conveying is the Spirit is the person of the Godhead who is baptizing us. Just like Jesus baptized his disciples, yet it was not Jesus, it was his disciples who baptized, the scripture says. But yet, it was Jesus baptized. They were baptized where? Into Jesus. So, the baptism of the Holy Spirit does not bring the Spirit to us. Listen, hear me out. The baptism of the Spirit brings us somewhere. The baptism of the Spirit brings us into Christ. 
So why was it so important for Jesus? He stressed this to his disciples. It is to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because if I don't go away, the comforter, the helper, the spirit of truth cannot come. Now let's hold your place there in Corinthians and let's go over to John chapter 14. Remember, we spent, we spent a lot of time in John chapter 14 last week. And I want to, I want to read John chapter 14. Let's, let's read verse 16. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Do you see the language Jesus is using? How is he speaking of the Holy Spirit? Not as an it, not as a substance. Remember, we took a multiple choice test, and I said, which of these least describe the Holy Spirit? He, she, or it? In Saturday night, most people said she. They don't, I guess they don't want the Holy Spirit to be a woman. <laughs> I said, no, listen, the thing that least describes it is the it. It's not an it. It's a him. It's a person. And Jesus said, listen, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send him to you. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will come to you. And look what he says here. Verse 20. At that day, I'm sorry. Um, at that day, you will know that I live. That's the day of his resurrection. Look at verse 17. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you. In other words, what that word there, he will be by your side. He dwells by your side and will, future tense, will be where? In you. This was why it was imperative that Jesus go away and send the spirit. Now something transpires Something had to transpire when the Spirit came. Because the hope of glory that we have, Paul says this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What is the treasure? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so baptism, the Spirit, Paul says, for by or in one Spirit we were all baptized, where? Into one body. It is the Spirit, it is the, the person of the Godhead, it is God the Holy Spirit that places us, this is what the word baptize means, to immerse in, to dip in, to place into. It is the Holy Spirit that places us into Christ. We don't do that. That water doesn't do that. That water doesn't make you saved. That water is a symbol of a reality that has transpired that is much greater than any earthly substance. That water is symbolic of what God, by His grace, has done by the power of His Spirit. That water doesn't take you out of sin and death and place you into Christ. It is the Holy Spirit. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who baptizes you or places you into Christ. That's what the scripture is saying. And so we see that the baptism of the Spirit doesn't bring the Spirit to me. It brings me into Christ. 
So this baptism doesn't bring the Spirit to us in the sense that God places the Spirit on us or in us. This baptism brings us, the believer, into living union with Christ. We are now bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. How? How did that happen? Because the Spirit brought us into and made us one with him. To be baptized in, with, by the Holy Spirit is to be placed into Christ by the Holy Spirit at the point that we are saved. To be baptized by the Spirit means the Spirit is the person of the Godhead baptizing us, placing us into Christ, causing us to become members of His body, bone of His bone. Flesh of his flesh. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5. He's talking about marriage. Yes, husbands love your wife. Wives submit to your husbands. He goes through this whole thing. But then he says, I'm talking to you about something that's very mysterious. That's much greater than just our natural relationships. I am speaking to you of Christ in the church. How can husbands love their wives the way Christ loved the church? How can wives submit to their husbands as unto the Lord? I'll tell you how it can happen. And how it's supposed to happen. Because Christ dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. That love of Christ must be manifest through us. Husbands, how are you going to love your wives? You're going to love them because the love of Christ is in you. This is what Paul is saying. It's more than just trying to teach you how to behave correctly and love your wife right. He's saying if Christ is not in you, you guys will never be able to submit to one another. If you're not filled with the Spirit, in other words, if you're not living under the complete control of the Spirit, you're not going to be able to do that. Because you can't love the way God has commanded us to love in the flesh. You can't do it. It's only by the Spirit that we can do that. And it's by the Spirit that we have been taken out of sin and death and translated, placed into righteousness and life in the Son. Amen? So the Spirit's not a thing, it's not a substance to be baptized with. And this, if you could read Greek and, and understood Greek, and, and I don't read and understand Greek, but there's a grammatical difference when we're talking about being baptized with water versus being baptized with the Spirit. And the difference is, water is a substance and the Spirit is a person. It changes the whole meaning of it. And so we've got to understand, the Spirit's not some force that God pours out on me. The Spirit is a person. It's not a substance to be baptized with, but a unique person of the Godhead, equal to the Father and equal to the Son. The Spirit is never a thing we are being baptized with. It is the person baptizing us or placing us into Christ. The baptism in, with, by, you use any English word you want there, but the reality is it is the same word and it means the same thing. Baptism in, with, by the Holy Spirit happens when we are born again, when we are brought into Christ. So some some traditions say, if you're not baptized in the Spirit, you can't be saved. Technically, they're true. The only problem is, they've poured the whole wrong meaning into the word baptism. They say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you can't be saved, because it does No, the Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture doesn't say if I have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. It doesn't teach that. So let's not change the meaning of the Scripture to fit our tradition. Let's let the Scripture define what our traditions are going to be and what our doctrines are going to be. And it is the person of the Spirit who has placed you into Christ. And when you 
go and you are immersed in that water, you are communicating an outward symbol of an inward reality that the Spirit of God has taken you and He has placed you in, immersed you in, and you have become totally and completely saturated with the reality of Christ's life. Amen. You don't do that. The Spirit does that. That's why Paul says we are saved by grace, not of works lest any man should boast. It's not us. It is the Spirit of God. How do we enter into it? We enter into it by faith or through faith. So the baptism of the Spirit is the Spirit placing me into Christ. Now let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the anointing. Because this is important. This is very, very important. So if the baptism of the Spirit places me into Christ, then then how does the Spirit of God come to live on the inside of me? And He does. In all of His fullness and in all of His power, He lives on the inside of you. Paul said it this way, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of you. And I can promise you right now, church, the, the power of God is not less today than it was when Jesus was raised from the dead. The same power, the same powerful spirit that raised Christ from the dead must live in you. And God sent that spirit, Jesus said it. He sent it so that he can be with you. He is with you, Jesus said. He was with him, how? Because Jesus was with him. The spirit was there because Jesus was there. But he said, listen, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the spirit. He'll not only be with you, he will be in you. So, Let's talk about this word anointing. The word anointing is found three times in the New Testament. Only three times. And one of those times is in James 5.14, and it's not the anointing that, that we are talking about. That's the scripture that says, If there is any among you sick, let them call upon the elders of the church. Let them, anointing them with oil. It literally means, it's a healing, it's like we're going to put oil. Oil was healing. The anointing that God has anointed us with is not simply a bottle of olive oil. You following me? The anointing that God has anointed us with is something far, far different and far, far more powerful. And that word anointing is found in 1 John, in John's letter. Go there, 1 John chapter 2. Incidentally, this word that we find here, anointing, It comes from the same root that we get the word Christ from. That's why Christ was not Jesus' last name, okay? Christ described who Jesus was. Jesus, the anointed one. The anointed one. That was a title given to who? Given to the Messiah. 1 John chapter 2. Now, remember, I told you guys, you hang with me. We're going to talk about these things in depth over the course of, uh, of next week and the following week. I'm going to take my time, and we're going, to, we're going to cover the whole gambit. We'll talk about spiritual gifts and all that. Spiritual gifts are real and alive right now, today, on planet Earth. Re- regardless of what some people say, they haven't passed away. They are real and viable and active. Be- you know why? Because the Holy Spirit is real and viable and active in the Earth and living in us. 
And he hasn't thrown his gifts away just because, I don't know why people think that, but, but I promise you, he, had, he hadn't got rid of his gifts, okay? But, but what I'm telling you, what I'm trying to help us understand is, is let's have a correct understanding of what the Word is really communicating. Because if we don't, we may be believers thinking that we're second-class citizens because we haven't had some experience or I haven't worked hard enough, I haven't become holy enough, I haven't done enough of this or enough of that, and I just haven't earned God's favor. He just hasn't given it to me. I'm going to tell you something. I've got, I've got some people that are very close to me. It was a husband and a wife. And um, they just had gotten saved. And the husband manifests, he manifested the gift of tongues. We, we, back then, I would have said he got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In reality, that's not what he got. When he was born again, he got the Holy Spirit. He was baptized. He was placed into Christ at salvation. And the Holy Spirit came to dwell on the inside of him. The Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of every believer. If he's not in you, then you're not a believer. The only way you can become a believer, if, if, listen, if the Holy Ghost is in you, you're a believer. If you're not a believer, he's not in you. Now, whether he manifests, you know, there's a lot of things that, that can affect that. Prophesy proportion in proportion to your faith. But anyways, back to my story. This, this couple, this, this guy just had an experience. And the woman, the wife, didn't. She didn't have that same experience. And there was a, they were at a church, and there was a guest minister there. And, and the guest minister kept telling the, the woman, she said, just say this, say this. Say dot, 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 dot. Just keep saying it, honey. Keep saying it, honey. And you'll get it. You'll get it. You'll get it. You'll get it. And, and this woman just, she's like, but, but, no, you just need to, you need to have enough faith. You, you're, 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 there's something hindering you. Well, can I tell you, she never got it that night. And you know what happened? She walked out of that church. I still know these people personally. They don't live in Taylor, so don't be trying to figure out who it is. They don't live anywhere close to here, Okay. She walked out of that church believing that God had given her husband something and there was something wrong with her and she couldn't figure out why God didn't give it to her. And she said, I, I, I believed. I, I, I don't understand. And, and what happened was we had someone who didn't rightly divide the word of truth. She, she was a brand new believer. She didn't know anything. All she did was leave thinking that somehow she didn't quite measure up because she didn't get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She didn't speak in tongues. And because she didn't speak in tongues, she didn't get it. It was years. It was years. It had a huge effect on her faith. You can say, well, that's wrong. It shouldn't have had that big of an effect. But listen, we're talking about a, a, a person who's never come to faith in Christ, didn't know anything, and, and all they know is they don't understand why. This is why, church, it's important. And you think she's the only one, I promise you, she's not the only one out there who believes that they somehow don't measure up because they haven't gotten what my neighbor or my brother or my husband or somebody got. And the reason we feel that way is because we don't really understand what the Scripture is communicating. Because we're more in love with some tradition or some doctrine that man created instead of letting the Word of God really define the reality of what's happened. And so the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit placing you into Christ. That happens when you're born again, when you're saved. It has to. 
He is the agent baptizing you, placing you into Christ. Now, let's go back to the term anointing. Have you found 2 John chapter 2, uh, 2, verse 20 yet? But you have an anointing from the Holy One. Where does our anointing come from? The Holy One. And you know all things. Wow. Can't go there. That's an interesting statement. But John is telling them something. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Let's go back down. Let's go down a little farther. Verse 27. Same chapter. But the anointing, same word. This is where the root of this word is where we get Christ from, the anointed one. This ain't talking about being smeared with oil. Okay? This is talking about an anointing that comes from the Holy One. Okay? This is not an anointing that some man can give you. It's not. The anointing that the scripture is talking about here comes from the Holy One. It's not an anointing that a man can give you. Because it doesn't come from man. It was never meant to come from man. But the anointing which you have received from Him. Where does it come from? From Him. We have received it from Him. Abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. Is John against teachers? No, absolutely not. He's communicating something. Who, why does he say that? What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, what's he going to do? He's going to lead you into what? All truth. John wasn't saying, you guys don't need a teacher, so you just be a bunch of rebels out there. You don't need any man telling you what to do. I've actually met people like that. Well, the Scripture says, I don't need any man to teach me. I say, you know what, dude? You're just a rebel. You, need to, you just need to go get broken, and th- then you come back. That's not what the Scripture's saying. What John is saying, you have an anointing. You have the one who leads all people into truth. How is that teacher able to teach you? Because he has an anointing. It is the Spirit of truth in that teacher that is leading him into truth. And that's why I say, if what I'm teaching you isn't coming from the teacher... And, and, and it's defined by what's in this word, then don't listen to me. Let this word right here be the final judge of all things. You have an anointing. The anointing which you've received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you. This goes right back to John 14 and Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit. As the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Nowhere else in the New Testament is this word anointing used. Now what is this anointing? Well, let's, let's, let's let the scripture define the scripture, amen? Now, just to review... Baptism in the Spirit is God the Spirit placing us into Christ, into His body, to be bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh, to become one with Him. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and you are in me, Jesus said, and I am in you. Well, if we're all in one another, then that means we're all together, bone of bone, flesh of flesh. We're one in Christ, and we are in the Father because Christ is in the Father. You don't come to the Father's house and visit Him. 
two hours a week. No, you abide in the presence of the Father if you're born again. Because Christ abides in you and you abide in Christ. And Christ said in John 14, he abides in his Father. And he said, so you abide in me and I abide in you. So baptism in the Spirit is God the Spirit placing us into Christ and making us one with him. The anointing with the Spirit is, listen church, is God the Father causing the Holy Spirit to come and indwell us. It is God the Father causing the Holy Spirit to come and take up his permanent home in us. We are the abode, the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost. It's not that we've just been placed into Christ. That's good. But that's not the end of the story. There's more to the good news than that. It's that the Father has anointed us. Do we have a picture of this anywhere in the Scripture? Of this anointing by the Father? Absolutely. Let's go to Exodus chapter 30. Now, I, I learned something that I thought was pretty fascinating. I didn't know this. Maybe you guys knew it, but I didn't. Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 22, is the account of the anointing oil. Okay? Moses and the children of Israel are in the wilderness, and God is giving Moses the instructions for building the tabernacle and all the furnishings and everything. In Exodus chapter 30, starting in verse 22, it's God giving Moses the, the directions for formulating and making the anointing oil. And he gives him, gives him the formulation and all of this stuff. Verse 25, And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, anointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be... A holy anointing oil. You're going to anoint everything in the tabernacle. You're going to anoint the utensils, the table. You're going to anoint all of this stuff. Get down to verse 30. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate that they may minister to me as priests. This word anointing in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and in verse 27 this word anointing is a direct correlation back to this anointing spoken of in Exodus chapter 30. Now, <clears throat> I said we use this term anointing flippantly, and we do. I have, and we shouldn't. Today, everybody's got an anointing for everything you can imagine. And do you know what that doctrine is? It's a creation of man. It's not scriptural. It, it's not scriptural. We don't have a bunch of anointings. We've got one anointing. And we don't need a bunch of anointings. You know why? Because the anointing that, the, that God the Father has given to us, any anointing you want to get other than that, it, it trumps everything. So here in Exodus 30, he says, develop this anointing oil. Hold your finger there. Go over a few chapters in Exodus to chapter 40. Exodus 40, 15. Now God's giving instructions to anoint with this anointing oil the sons of Aaron. 
And look what God says. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may minister to me as priest, for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. So, do you know how many times the high priest was anointed? One time. Aaron was anointed one time. His sons were anointed one time. Do you know how long? You know how many times the anointing oil was made, formulated, and made over the course of Israel's history? You know how many times that oil was made? Who made the first batch? Moses did. You know who made the second batch? There was no second batch. Do you know that the anointing oil that Moses formulated lasted all the way into King Josiah's reign? That is the last time the anointing oil was seen by any Jew. For almost a thousand years they used... That, that, that is in, just incredible to me. For a thousand years, they used the same anointing oil that Moses made in the wilderness. Now remember, the Old Testament is what? What does the whole Bible communicate? The correct answer is Jesus, okay? And everything in this Old Testament that was given was a type and a shadow to ultimately reveal what? The reality. So we see types and shadows of Christ all throughout. What do you think the anointing oil was a type and a shadow of? It was the Holy Spirit. Yes. It's interesting that they were anointed one time and it stuck. And that holy anointing oil was formulated one time and they were forbidden to make it again. There was a great penalty for anyone who tried to make it. I mean, they, it was like the death penalty. You just didn't do that. Why do you think God would be so protective of that? I'll tell you why. Because God was communicating something true. It's the same reason why we shouldn't be flippant about the anointing today. There's not all these anointings out there. You can't go to brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and I'm going to go see uh, uh, brother so-and-so and I'm going to let him lay hands on me so he can give me his anointing. Well, you go ahead. There is an anointing, one anointing the scripture talks about. And I don't want the anointing of a man. I want the anointing from the Holy One. And the gospel is this, that God has made it possible for us to receive that anointing. That anointing that... That, that Aaron was anointed with was a type and a shadow of the anointing that would come. Here's what the Jews say. In the stone edition of the Talmud, in the note here in Exodus, you know what it says? That that anointing oil lasted into the reign of the kings at the end of the first temple, and it disappeared. The Encyclopedia Judica says that Josiah hid it, and no one knows where it is. And here's what the Jews believe. When the Messiah comes again, he will reveal the holy anointing oil. And you know what? They're true. It's true. The Messiah came and he brought not a bottle of oil that Moses made. He brought the real thing. He brought the reality that the shadow spoke of.
Church, why are we still chasing shadows when we're living in the reality? Don't, don't, don't desire a shadow when God has given us the reality. And so it says, you shall anoint them that they may minister to me. This is why. Why has God anointed us with the holy anointing called the Holy Spirit? So that we could minister to him. We were consecrated, set apart to minister to him. Just like Aaron and his sons were. Do you know there were only two class of people, two class of people that received the anointing? That were anointed. Do you know what they were? They were priests and they were kings. What does the scripture say? Revelation says, you have been made kings and priests of our God. God has anointed you with his Holy Spirit. He has made you a priest and he has made you a king. What I'm telling you today, only the Holy Spirit can give you a revelation of this. You can hear my words, but until it gets down in your spirit, you're going to live believing you're some second-class citizen. I'm tired of believers thinking that they're second-class citizens, that there's something they're going to have to work for and earn in, in, in order for God to give them that little extra mm. Like he only gave you half the Holy Spirit when you got saved? And if you're a good boy and girl, I'm going to give you the rest of it? If you really prove yourself to me? How is that possible? Well, if you think the Holy Spirit's like a jar of water... And I'll give you half the bottle now and half the bottle later. But that's not what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit's not a thing. He is a person. That person is either living in you or he's not living in you. Christ cannot be divided. And if Christ can't be divided, his spirit can't be divided. And the Father can't be divided. So when you were born again, when you got saved, the Spirit of God, God the Spirit, placed you into Christ. And God the Father anointed you with a holy anointing from on high. And you got that anointing one time. He's only going to give you the Spirit once. You know why he only gives it to you once? Because he doesn't put it in you, take it out, put it in you, take it out. I've heard preachers talk about the Holy Ghost is like uh, filling your gas tank up. You know, it's like you got to go to the filling station and fill your gas tank up. Honey, the Holy Ghost ain't gasoline. He's not diesel. He's not propane. He's none of that. He is a person. And God says, I will give you my Spirit and I won't take him from you. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I speak these things to you. John 15, Jesus said, I speak these things to you that my joy may be full in you and that your joy shall remain. How's it going to remain? Because what he gives me remains forever. Because the anointing he has anointed us with is a holy anointing. It is an everlasting anointing. So we've got to get our terminology right. We've got to understand What's really happened? I'm not working real hard to get some secondary experience from God. If I'm born again, the Spirit of God has placed me into Christ. And the Father has anointed me with His holy anointing oil called the Holy Ghost. Well, that ought to cause you to shout right there. The anointing that abides inside every believer is... The Holy Spirit. This is why John says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. You might be here today and someone might say, well, you know, you don't have the baptism because you ain't spoken tongues yet. I'm going to tell you what, if you're born again today, you've got the baptism. And you have been anointed. And the Holy Anointed One lives on the inside of you. Now, the problem is you might not have that reality. You might not know that. 
Because you might have been taught that you haven't received it because you got to do X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C in order for you to receive it. But that's not what the Scripture teaches. Now, now hang with me because we're going to talk about all of it. We're going to get into the, the four distinct groups in which the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was they experienced. We're going to talk about that next week or the week after. Depends on how far we get. Let's go, to, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So every believer has an anointing that abides inside of them. It's called the Holy Ghost. And it's an everlasting anointing that was given to priests and kings in the Old Testament, which was a foreshadowing that in Christ we are kings and priests unto our God. You got the same anointing. Actually, you got a better anointing than King David got. You got a better anointing than, than Aaron got. Do you realize that? I know people who would love to go back and experience King David experiences. And, oh, I wish I could be there when, where Aaron was and Moses. Why, why do you want to be back there? We're living in Christ. They all want to be where we are, and we're looking back wanting to be where they are. We're chasing shadows, and they were trying to get to the reality. And they're going, what's wrong with you people? First, Second Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you, where? In Christ. Over 230 times in the New Testament do you find this phrase, in Christ, in Christ. Get that in your head. Remember, I've told you this before. Get your Bible, get you a highlighter, and everywhere you see the phrase in Christ, highlight it. Because what you have, you have in Christ. What God has given you, he's given you in Christ. The anointing you have, you have it because you're in Christ. The baptism you have, you have it because you've been placed in Christ. It's all in Christ. If it's not in Christ, you ain't got it. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. who? Who's anointed us? God has. It is God who establishes us and anoints us. Who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts. That's the anointing. As a guarantee. He establishes us. He securely saved us. Where? In Christ. In His Son. He set us on a firm foundation. There's no storm, there's no flood, there's not anything that's going to come knock your feet out from under you. Because you didn't save yourself, you didn't establish yourself, He established you in Christ. And He has anointed us, He has caused His Spirit to reside, not just on us, but in us. What Spirit is that? It is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It dwells in you. And the same power that raised him from the dead is the same power that dwells inside of you. It doesn't just dwell there. It's not just like booking a room for a few nights. He has made his dwelling place, his abode. You are his home. I'm telling you what, he has moved in and he has redecorated and he has redone it. I'm telling you what, he's made it his. It's his house. It was bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. 
And when God anointed you, the Spirit came and He made His abode, His dwelling, His eternal dwelling place in you. We can't even conceive of that. But it's what the Scripture declares. He has sealed us. He has sealed the transaction. I'm telling you what, Joe Lynn's a notary public. And when, when I have to have something notarized, I call Joe Lynn. And, and I sign on the dotted line, and then she takes that little stamp, that little seal, and she puts her magic impression there, and it makes it all legal and binding, and, and, and it's a done deal. I'm telling you what. We have been sealed. The transaction has been sealed, giving us His Spirit as a guarantee of its full completion. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. There is no question. How do you know, Pat? Because God has sealed it. He has given us His Spirit as a guarantee. He didn't come and make His abode in you just to see how you're going to do and then move out one day. Nowhere does the scripture teach that. We have the assurance of, of the gospel and of redemption. We have the assurance of the life, the life that we have received, this resurrection life, this resurrection power that dwells within me, that I dwell in. I have the assurance of that because God has sealed it. And he has promised to complete the transaction. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians 1, 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. When did you trust? After you heard the word of truth. This is why it's important for the church to preach and teach the truth today. Not mysticism, not mythology, not vain imaginations. If we're not preaching and teaching the truth, there is no power for men to be saved. For the gospel and the gospel alone is the power of God unto salvation. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. If you're born again today, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. How do we know the inheritance will be fulfilled? How do we know that it ultimately will be manifest? I mean, it's not just some spiritual thing. We're just, you know, out there in la-la land. Listen, it is a spiritual reality right now. What about all the wars in the earth? What about them? It doesn't change what Jesus has done. It doesn't change our victory. It doesn't change his rule. It doesn't change the reality of his spirit. The anointing that the Father has given me that now resides in me. It doesn't change the fact that God the Holy Spirit has taken me out of sin and death and darkness and placed me into life and righteousness and light in Christ Jesus. It doesn't change that. But I am awaiting the redemption, the consummation, the manifestation of the fullness of what is already guaranteed, what is already done. The will has been written. It has been sealed. There is no question God is not going to go back on His word. One day we will see. We will see it. We will know it. We will experience it. Until then, it's sealed. It's a done deal. How do we know? Because God sealed it. 
He sealed it by his spirit. He has given us. How do I know this flesh, this corruption will put on incorruption one day? How do I know this mortality will put? Because God sealed it. He put his seal on it. and He's not a liar. He has put his spirit inside of me. And he has given me the hope of that redemption. Amen, church. If you have been saved, you've been baptized in the Spirit. You've been taken out of sin and death and placed into Christ. If you are saved, if you've been born again, you've been anointed with a holy anointing from the Holy One. It is the Holy Spirit that abides in you and lives in you. And it guarantees, it assures that you abide in Him just like the branch abides in the vine and the vine abides in the branch. Go to John 14. Let me read it to you from here. Because Jesus can say it better than, than any of us. John 14, 20. At that day, he's talking about the day of his resurrection. When they saw him conquer death, Let's just begin in verse 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day when you get the revelation of my resurrection life, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. That is not a future reality. That is a present reality. If you are born again, What Jesus is saying, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That's good news, church. You know how that happened? The Spirit of the living God did that. He has brought us into Christ and made us one. We are in Him, and He is in us. He has anointed us. He has placed His Spirit in us. That's good news. Amen? Let's stand. Now we're going to continue. We're going we're to take our time and we're going through. We're going to look at everything. We're going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But if we don't have this foundational understanding of what the Holy Spirit has done for us in salvation, we, we will miss. And we may, we may live our lives believing we're somehow second-class Christians, because we haven't had a certain experience or a certain manifestation. And that's not what the Scripture teaches. So let's let the Scripture define, amen, what the truth is. Is there anyone here? We've already had one person give their life to the Lord. Is anyone here? And you say, Pastor Jeff, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. But, but all this talking about the Spirit of God living in me and I, I want to experience that. If that's you and you've never experienced true salvation, you can do that today. Is there anyone, if that's you, would you bold enough to raise your hand? Anyone, anyone, anyone. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for your word. Lord, my prayer is, and Lord, all of our prayers should be, Lord, we don't want what a man says. We don't want, Lord, just what a man believes. Lord, we want what you have declared in your word. Lord, we want you, by your Holy Spirit, to conform our mind, our will, our emotions to the reality of Christ in us. 
Lord, we want to let the Scripture, Lord, define what we believe. And Lord, we just submit to the Scripture and we submit to the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray, Lord, anything that's been said here today, if it provokes us, Lord, to break open this book and begin to read and study, Lord, you, by your Spirit, you will teach us. Lord, if we have a heart that wants to learn, if we have a heart that's open and willing and teachable, Lord, you'll teach us. You will do that. And we thank you. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that in Christ you have anointed us with a holy anointing. God, we're so thankful for what you have done for us in Christ. We just stand in awe of it, God. We stand in awe of your grace and of your goodness. Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Open the eyes of our understanding that we would continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That the world could look at the church and see that there is a difference. There is hope. There is light. There is life. God, that can only be done by the power of your Spirit. And we say, Lord, let your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. For your glory, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless.